You are listening to the Brand Architect Podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brand Architect Podcast, the podcast that helps you build your brands online and make them lovable. Uh, Let me introduce my guest. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, how are you doing? Fine, thanks. So Jeremy Carson is the creative director at Saatchi and Saatchi. And also he's a keynote speaker and he's, uh, he's basically from the few people who actually believe that, um, the creative side and the heart and, and the soul side of things and the data and the tech and, and the science behind it are the two things that are equally important and they should coexist together. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's always been my, my perspective on technology and creativity. They always have lived together. People just for some reason see them at odds with each other, but I don't know, never made sense to me. So I always smashed them together and made it work. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm true believer that they, they should coexist and, and both are equally important because when, you know, even in life situations, not even about marketing, right? In life situations, when you just rely on one or the other only, it's never kind of, you know, not always it works out. So uh, it, it's always much better to just, uh, yeah, just uh, combine both and get most out of both. Okay. I feel like so, it's probably because I was a middle child. I was, I, I have a couple older huh. sisters and a younger sister. And, you know, they always say the middle child likes just let everyone get together and make everyone like be friends. That's, that was me. So I don't know, maybe I'm just looking for a way for creativity and technology to be friends. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, do you have this same feeling that, uh, you know, the creative part and, and especially from the marketing perspective in the tech sector is something that needs to a bit of improvement at the moment? Oh, absolutely. I think that um, the, the issue is everyone leans one way or the other right now. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. there's uh, uh, the creative shops when it comes to marketing, you've got you know ad agencies and all the really famous ones and all the ones that you don't really hear, but everyone just has come from that same perspective where creativity is the way that you need to solve problems, pure creativity. And, and it's this idea of telling a great story is it, of course. That is incredibly important. But then on the other side, yeah. you have um, people that just lean straight into technology, straight into tactics and the execution of things and only look at, well, it's about the media. It's about the uh, uh, the targeting, the data-informed um, yeah. perspective of everything. And they, they do things like, well, we're going to change this color of the button from red to blue because the data says that the blue one was the one that performed better. Um, but it doesn't necessarily make sense if the you know, the red button was more on brand and it aligned with the creativity. So the issue I think is people are only going one way or the other way. They're not looking at where to pull the best from both worlds and how to make them integrated into a a more interesting way. And so I think we have a a really long way to go. Um, And there's some places that are are going in the right direction, but the the biggest issue is not necessarily for the, um, the data informed people to uh, allow creativity in the world, but I, I actually feel that the creative people allowing the data informed yeah. world into theirs is the far more difficult um, step in this process because creatives have big egos. I mean, we we have to yeah. because we have to have this ability <laughs> yeah. to to think we can come up with these solutions, which we do. We we have to. Um, 
Yeah. But with that comes the idea that, well, if, if I've been able to do this before, I should be able to do this now. And I don't need a bunch of numbers in order to tell me. I don't know. I don't need to be able to measure the success of my ideas because my gut is the thing that tells me if it's working. And so being able to use more information to me has always been able to fuel creativity. Um, and yeah. unfortunately, the way that we've been using data and technology in the past has kind of kept a, uh, a bias and, mm -hmm. and a more raw use of data. Uh, of technology that isn't the most creative. And so kind of teaching and, and helping and figuring out how to use data and technology in a more creative way is the biggest hurdle we have to hit right now. Yeah, I, I think like, uh, absolutely. I, I think it's a big advantage that now we we do have data and, you know, we, we can see what's going on behind, uh, you know, the scenes because uh, uh, before it was just you know, putting it out there and, and very often we didn't even know whether it was working or not and what was the scale of it and, you know, how many people actually, you know, consumed your content for how long, et cetera, et cetera. We still ha don't have like ideal kind of, you know, um, stats, for example, on LinkedIn viewerships, like how many right. minutes were viewed exactly and, you know, um, how many people stuck until the end, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So you, we get like a high level thing at the moment. But I think what, you know, probably the the best thing is to just not forget that behind numbers there are people. Uh, and, and that could probably simplify things a little bit and kind of, you know, because very often when, when you emerge in, in data, you just see graphs and it looks like maths and you just forget right. that, you know, it's all about people, their behavior, their reactions and, and all that stuff. So I guess it's it's something that we should take into account. A hundred percent. I mean, the, I got to give credit where credit's due. My, my CCO, um, Jason Schrager, he is one of the, the great ad men uh, that's been around for a while and he's really smart and he's deep into the storytelling world, but he actually is, is told me and has said over and over, he said, Jeremy, data is people. That's all it is. Uh, the number of people that are engaging with your video and are watching, um, you know, to 50% where that just means that people like it. That means this yeah. many people were watching your video. It's not some kind of uh, amorphous, you know, zeros and ones. It's just actual people. And I, I completely agree with him. I think it's great when people look at it from that perspective, because then it's not just, oh, uh, you know, percentages and bar graphs, like you said, it's, it's about what's the behavior? How can I read into the behavior of people and then interpret it and create around that behavior? Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's go back to to the very beginning of your story. Like, how did you end up in the space? Uh, you know, uh, marketing, advertising, creative space, which is very exciting uh, these yeah. days. Also, data driven. So, um, you know, what was your journey in in that space? You know, I was incredibly lucky. I have um, two very artistic parents. My uh, my father. And my mother uh, both went through art programs in college. And my dad, a um, uh, little early in his career, he opened up his own shop uh, for marketing. And he's he's a hustler. He'll do everything from packaging to web to PR to advertising. And so very early on, when I was about uh, halfway through high school, I started working with him, um, doing just some odd jobs, design projects, because I myself went through graphic design. Mm -hmm. But in high school, I thought I was going to be actually a fine artist. I had no idea that, you know, advertising in the, the career was something that I was really into. Um, I, I thought I was going to be a starving artist, actually. I thought that was a viable career path. 
<laughs> I didn't realize it's the word carving is right there. Title, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. You think I would have gotten the hint? Um, but but I actually I went through um, the senior year, and uh, I I actually there, there's this kind of thing that you submit to a, a panel of people to get evaluated on your ability to do art um, mm -hmm. in high school in the states, and it's called the AP tests. And uh, I submitted mine, and I got a, a two out of five, which is low. It's lower than half. And I was very surprised because everyone thought, you know, Jeremy's a good artist. He thought he would do well. But I realized and my teacher realized it was because all the design and everything that I submitted, it wasn't really fine art. It was more in the world of graphic design. And they yeah. didn't really like that. Um, but on the plus side, uh, she said, well, why don't you go into graphic design? And so then I started applying to colleges and, and I found one that uh, really fit well happened to be the same one my father and my mother went to. I went through uh, that college, uh, Cal State University Long Beach in Southern California. And um, at the end of that, that program that I was doing, uh, I had a teacher that was teaching a couple advertising classes. And he was really uh, talking about the idea that um, advertising from a, a art perspective is about communicating ideas, big ideas, and creating mm -hmm. different ways of communicating that idea. And I really loved that because I've, I've loved the um, the feeling of coming up with something and building it. Um, and so, you know, I, I went into advertising and he helped me get uh, a uh, um, uh, internship at Ogilvy in Los Angeles. Uh, this was years and years and years ago. <laughs> and uh, I started working there and I, I went from, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of freelance work before that. I was doing a lot of design work on my own. Um, working at a big agency world really allowed me to see that you can dive into a specialty and really be a, a focused mm -hmm. special specialist in a whole bunch of different areas. But um, for me, art and technology turned out to be where my passion really was because, uh, I mean, anybody that has started to get into the ad world has realized that when you're a junior, when you're an intern, they just throw you on the the little projects, right? The stuff that yeah. the, the big shots don't want to work on. And at that time, it turned out to be all the digital stuff, which just fit right in my wheelhouse. And I just started to have this passion for being able to figure out how to make digital work uh, more creative than mm -hmm. was expected. Mm -hmm. And so uh, over the next four or five years, um, I was working there. I worked at another couple of agencies. And uh, the idea of social and digital really started taking off. It was uh, was when we started to transition from Facebook being purely a like social platform to being something that had a really strong advertising presence. Mm -hmm. And it it required people to think a little bit more on how to advertise on that platform because it wasn't just about making um, essentially direct mailer or direct response kind of advertising. It was something that needed to have storytelling. And yeah. so through that process of kind of working with different creatives that were really good at storytelling and developing my own storytelling capabilities and my own knowledge of the technology, I started to become a little bit more of a specialist in that specific area. And uh, then lately, um, I can say lately, it's been about five years now, I went to Saatchi and Saatchi and I've worked in the uh, data informed creative group. And that is, it blew my mind when I got in there because uh, the amount of, of data that we can work with, mm -hmm. but also uh, should work with, was one of the biggest topics that we had to think about. Um, it's a light touch, but it's also the right touch. It's knowing what you should say to someone so that you're not freaking them about, about how 
targeted or personalized the information mm -hmm. is. But it's also yeah, it may get creepy. <laughs> oh, I know, absolutely. It gets yeah. really scary because uh, there's so, just so much that we have access to. Again, it's all anonymized. I don't know who any of these people are, but I'm able to give big chunks of people certain pieces of information. Um, but once I started uh, realizing what that light touch is and then how to bring creative storytelling into this world, it just opened up my eyes because I like to say it allowed us to talk to a person and not mm -hmm. to people because we've been so used to talking to people and just saying yeah. a big mass message to everyone. Now that I know, oh, this group of people over here, they're interested in this specific piece of the brand, this specific aspect of the brand, and I can tell them something different than I'm telling someone over here. Oh, that just completely changes things. I don't need to make one 30 second spot that speaks to everyone in the same way. I can make mm -hmm. several you know, smaller yeah. pieces of content and target them. And so uh, it just got me really excited. And I've been doing that for the past five years and helping other people do it. And our, my team is great. Uh, my my ECD is, is one of the brainchilds behind uh, this whole thing. And um, yeah, yeah, I just, I love it. Interesting, nice. I mean, um, let, let's talk about like that because I think it's very useful even, uh, even for like, you know, small personal brands online and, you know, even for people who are just using social media to, to share their strengths and knowledge, for example. We're broadcasting on, on LinkedIn. Many people are trying to figure out LinkedIn because LinkedIn became a content creator sort of, you know, space relatively recently, right? So before yeah. it wasn't really. Um, so uh, the the importance of tailoring the messages to the people you're talking to and the, the level of personalization, like many people don't really know where to start and, and how to deal with those concepts because, again, the, they are relatively new and not everyone has had the experience with those like where do you start like what do you look at how, how do you actually deal with it yeah there it, it's uh it's difficult because it's kind of like um this big big pool this it's the blank canvas effect when it comes to mm. uh artists you know the the scariest thing is blank canvas because you don't yeah. know where to make that first mark um and so to me it's all about just funneling it down to uh, the smaller, smaller things that you're trying to change. Um, so for instance, actually a, a piece of content I just posted today is the idea of contextual creative. Start mm -hmm. with the idea of where is it that you're putting out your creative and what is the most appropriate piece of creative to put in that place? So if you're putting something on LinkedIn, maybe it doesn't feel right for Instagram. Maybe it does. Maybe you have such a niche audience that you're able to do that. But mm. the issue is with large brands, they make problem or they, they have problems where they make this mistake of, um, oh, we made a TV spot and that's a video. Where videos, well, they YouTube. So let's put our TV spot on YouTube. Oh, you know, it's also uh, that videos, they can go on Facebook. Let's put that same video on Facebook. And let's also put that video on Instagram and let's cut 10 seconds out of it and put on Snapchat. And, and it's just this idea of echoing content all over the place when, at the very least, you need to pay attention to best practices. Mm -hmm. What do people respond to on that platform? What's their behavior? If people like to uh, explore things non-linearly, meaning like they like to skip around where they, they don't have to be forced to watch second zero for, to second 30, uh, you need to make your content um, cater to that. If they like to do audio only, you need to work with that. If they like to have supers up on the screen, you need to do with that. So um, the con the context of what the content is, is probably the best place to start because 
that means that you're paying attention to the behavior of the people on that platform in order to make the most appropriate content. Okay. And then after yeah. that, it's it's just it, the world's open from there because then when you start to think about people's behavior and people on a more individual level, oh, you can dive deeper and deeper and deeper and, and it gets overwhelming if you don't pace yourself. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, another thing that many people get challenged by is, uh, you know, very often we, we we talk when we talk about personalization, we also talk about niching down and coming up with your ideal listener or ideal reader or you know whoever you're targeting, right? And and many people are very scared to do to make that choice because they feel like they they are missing out for you know all the others that don't fit towards that small group of people, right? So uh, what are, like, if, if when you are choosing that, the target audience, the target market, like, what are the parameters? What do you take into account in order to, to, to be able to make the right decisions? Like, how do you choose? This is really interesting because um, what we've traditionally done in marketing and advertising is defined this aspirational target audience. It's like one, mm -hmm. Maybe it's a small like niche group, or maybe it's a bigger kind of clump of people. Um, I think as you're starting as a brand, you should definitely do that. You should define like who is your main target. But as brands start to grow, they need to define multiple targets. Um, but to figure out who those people are, it, it, it's it sounds messy, but honestly, just start putting stuff out that you feel is appropriate uh -huh. for what you want to do, and then look at who reacts because the people who react to you are going to be your core audience. And that may not be as clear as you think. Um, I actually started putting content out um, to build around uh, uh, new creatives, early creatives. Mm -hmm. The idea yeah. of, um, you know, I don't feel that a lot of academia teaches some of the things that really help people survive in the, in the business, in the industry. Um, which they can't always do because they have to teach people how to create and how to execute, right? So yeah. a lot of the things that we learn in our first couple, you know, two to five years of being in the industry, we have to learn by diving into the deep end. So anyway, I started creating work around that. Um, but then as I started to talk about some other things I was passionate about, I realized my audience was expanding from just students to uh, even veteran creatives. And I wasn't intentionally making that happen. And so as I looked mm -hmm. at the data, as I looked at who was engaging with my work, everything from age range to I was simply putting out a survey when people would um, be downloading content, I would ask them if they're a student or what their level is or anything like that. It's now about 50-50 between people who have been in the industry for a while and people who are students or incoming creatives. And so therefore I have two pieces of content that I always put out. I put out some more instructional stuff and I put out some more like high level thinking, like what we're talking about right now. And that wasn't a choice or that was a choice I had to make, but it wasn't a choice of, well, who do I want to talk to? I'm only going to talk to those people. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course there's fringe, there's always fringe, but those are my two big core audiences. And even a niche person like me, I've only got, you know, a, a several thousand people on, on LinkedIn that follow me, but it, I would by no means say I'm a huge personal brand. I still have two target audiences because uh -huh. that's what the data's told me. I didn't make that decision on my own. I, the data said, these are your two chunks of people you should talk to. So that's what I do. And as long as they align with what my values are and what it is that I want to talk about, you know, that works out. So yeah, I'd say don't overthink it. Just look at who likes your stuff and just, you know, keep putting that out and talk to those people.
Yeah, makes sense. Um, probably you're you're the most suitable person to ask you this because you're you're working in the advertising, right? People who are again looking for a job or trying to build their own thing online, right? Um, we all kind of need some a, a minimum level of visibility at one point in order to get traction, right? We we need people to know about us. We we you know very often people get discouraged because whatever they are creating and putting out there is is not consumed by people because people don't really see it, right? Um, so where is this right balance? I, I have seen like people who just give up and and kind of uh, withdraw because it doesn't work from day one, which it never does. Uh, and I have seen some that have been very um, overly self-confident and very self-promotional and going to towards the other extreme, which is kind of, you know, something I don't really like that much. So how to find the right balance in order to, to gain traction, to get visibility, to be enough out there somehow and, and you know, showcase your strengths, but at the same time, not really be that pushy self-promotional person. Right. Um, so I, I listen to uh, a lot of what Gary Vaynerchuk says. Um, I'm sure there's probably some people out there that do. I'm sure there's a lot of people that hate him. Um, but the yeah. the thing that he always says is just put your content out there. And if people like it, they'll, they'll listen. They'll watch it. They'll read it. And I kind of share that mentality. Um, but there's also this perspective that some people have where it's just like, well, I'm putting it out there. I should be successful, right? Like people should want to see it. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. Like it's it's the market, really. It's people. If if your stuff doesn't fit with what a big group of people wants to hear, well, that means that you're not going to have a big following. But that also doesn't mean that no one's going to want to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, from a personal brand perspective, from a business perspective, businesses doing this as well, you don't need to have massive, massive chunks of of followers in order to be influential within your circle of people mm -hmm. um and it just means figuring out what it is what is the circle of people that you want to talk to like you were talking about your target audience from early on and just playing up in that uh that space so that even if you've got you, you know in the startup world they say you'd rather have a thousand zealous customers yeah. Then 10,000 kind of, eh, I'll, I'll yeah, watch sure. something that you watch, but I'm never going to engage with you. That kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Or even 100, right? You want to have 100 like hardcore fans because once you do that, then you know what it is that people are wanting to hear. Um, mm -hmm. Figuring out if you have that wide breadth of, of uh, uh, appeal to people or if you're more of a smaller niche thing, like that's something that takes a, uh, a little humility because mm -hmm. I think that it takes a, it takes a lot of courage for people to put themselves out into, um, you know, the world as far as, uh, uh content and kind yeah. of this raw conversation and all that kind of stuff. But then when that, that courage is not encouraged <laughs> because mm -hmm. no one is listening to you and no one is watching yeah. you, um, it's a little discouraging. Wow. There's a lot of courage in there. Um, but basically <laughs> it's just like, don't, don't get so up in your head about needing to be famous or in your internet famous or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Just say things that are important to you. Say things that align with what your career and what your specialty and what your stance is, or if you're a business, what your business is about. But say things that are not only important to you, but important to other people. And that's the biggest thing that people have an issue with. They, they want to, like you said, they want to promote themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's not about self-promotion. It's about 
it's about sharing uh, a knowledge and sharing um, values of what you you hold important and seeing if anyone else aligns with that. And honestly, it's it's maybe more of a one-sided conversation, but it is still a conversation. You know, mm -hmm. I put out a lot of stuff about how to teach young creatives and what the the data-driven world and creativity is all about. And I get a lot of responses and comments from people and I put more content out about that and they get more responses back. And that's how I know that that is the world that I want to live in. Um, just because I don't have three, four, five million followers that want to do it doesn't mean that it's not something that um, is worthwhile saying. So kind of yeah. getting rid of like that ego, playing with a little bit more humility and understanding that you don't need to be internet famous in order to to put your your vision out there um, is really important. I I completely agree with you, and you know very often you get this advice which which I personally absolutely hate. Uh, uh, what's your opinion about that? Like fake it till you make it kind of stuff. <laughs> it's, no. it's pretty popular out there. <laughs> yeah, because people want to fake being something that they're not. You know, like it, it doesn't. It, People respond more to authenticity. They don't want to respond to uh, fake and, and just manufactured personalities. Um, mm. It doesn't mean don't curate what you say. It, it, it means be careful of what you say. But I'm not going to, you know, go uh, uh, stand in front of uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the fearless girl statue and and say like this was me like this is what i'm going to be doing mm -hmm. next year or whatever or, or like you know trying to tell people about that's a big thing people talking about things that they don't know about when people ask me questions i definitely don't answer i mean i have people ask me things about how do i get into the real estate market and market to them mm -hmm. like, i don't know i've never done it before so i can't answer that question and they say oh i thought you were marketing yes it's different um faking it till you make it just shows that a you don't have the confidence b you don't have the knowledge to do what it is that you need to do um and if you have confidence in the knowledge you have then that should be enough but it will also definitely bite you in the ass because you will show yeah. the cracks in your knowledge you'll show the cracks in your personality you will be found out the internet is a very transparent place and it'll just come out. There's no point in faking it. Just have confidence in what it is that you have to say. And if you don't have anything to say, don't say it. That's like a yeah. another big thing. You don't have to do anything. Like just, just yeah. you know, if you're proud of something and you have something you want to put out there that you're proud of, do that. But don't feel forced to have to make a personal brand or have to put out content every day or or anything like that. And then you're scraping the bottom of the barrel and saying, well, maybe I'll just, yeah, I have an opinion on what we should do about, uh, you know, the, apartheid but it, yeah you don't know anything about that so why are you going to be talking about it so yeah fake it till yeah. you make it bad idea don't do it yeah just be yourself don't, don't, be real you know don't do it for sure so um yeah i mean uh, i totally agree with you it's, it's kind of you know people people sense it you know that fake thing even if you can't point out what it is exactly you just feel it and and you, you just get the vibes so no definitely i mean we spoke about authenticity and kind of vulnerability and 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 the scary part of putting yourself out there um it's uh it's it's hard i mean i i get it it's it's not very easy to just go out there and, and put yourself in a situation where pretty much anyone on internet will will have will feel that they have the right to just you know comment uh and 
you know, tell whatever they want about you, right? I mean, initially, that's what many people are right. scared of. We, we we end up thinking about how our hair looks and, you know, what, what is the lighting and kind of, you know, and, and, and come up with things that are not really that essential, right? You know, I, I know people who are, who haven't launched podcasts yet because they're still figuring out uh, the the ideal background because they they have bought a green screen and they are you know learning to to operate the software and everything else right so um, it's and it all comes because they end up trying to be perfect with their content with the way they look with with the way they they want to to sort of enter this space so um, authenticity i think also works when uh you know you put out your personality and when you put out your personality basically you know you you would like to sort of highlight your um uh, your unique sides right so many people end up coming to me saying yeah but i don't know i don't have a unique side which which usually is never the case but how how like how do you look for it like how should people kind of find that unique part or you know that that side of the personality that will help them stand out or help them become kind of you know different yeah you know it's weird we spend every day with ourselves and so we don't notice the things that uh we grow into and that we we do and we become and because of that it makes it really difficult to see what's unique about us and yeah. we start to think, well, everyone's just like me because we know ourselves and we just assume. That's kind of just what humans do. Everyone is like me. The best thing to do, honestly, is just ask people. And, and ask people you trust. I don't mean like put the question out to the internet and have them decide for you. I mean, ask your friends, ask your family um, because oftentimes they'll have more insight into you than you have into yourself mm -hmm. because you, you put blinders on when it comes to yourself. Um, I, I didn't realize certain parts about me until my creative directors, as I was coming up in my career, um, started telling me about them. Um, someone just mentioned to me, you know, Jeremy, what I think is really great about you is that you can see how all the pieces fit together. And I never really mm -hmm. thought about that. I mm -hmm. thought I was just about, you know, you know, making great work and, and putting my, my all into my creativity. And I didn't realize that one of my strengths was kind of taking what they say is the 40,000 foot view and being able to see, well, how does this piece fit with this piece and how do campaigns work together without feeling like each piece is mirroring the other one. Um, mm -hmm. And so that actually embracing that became something really important to me as I became a creative director because it, it became necessary in order to make a whole campaign feel integrated. And I didn't know that until someone else told me that. And so I would say, just, just talk to people. Um, but also just think about, well, what is it you care about? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I just happened to have this, this idea of technology and creativity working together and that became my niche and my voice. But, you know, I have a friend that's really into cycling mm -hmm. and he uh, created a, a company with his friends that was uh, making cycling gear. And, you know, the, the shirts and the, the shorts and mm -hmm. the gear and all that kind of stuff. And it's, I mean, they don't, they don't have a massive following either. They have about the same amount of people as, as I do. And they just make it for really niche groups of people. And it's kind of a side business stuff that they do. But that became what he was passionate about. And so they started just taking videos of their rides that they would do every morning. And that happened. And he didn't even think, well, this is like something we're going to make a business of. He was just always into cycling. And so when he just realized, oh, other people are probably into that too, he started putting stuff out there about it. 
Um, the best thing, honestly, is figuring out what are two things that you have uh, interest in and smashing those two things together. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. essentially what ideation is. It's something you saw over here and something you saw over here and you put the two things together and that is what come, or creates a new idea. And that's also what is really good about figuring out what your specialty is, what your niche is. And yeah, so I would just suggest doing that. It helps a lot and uh, get out of your own head. Ask other people. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, going back to advertising, um, very often when I talk to people about marketing in general, <clears throat> very often what they they you know kind of strategize about is uh, oh you know we have this budget we'll put it on on a PPC we'll drive traffic right so they are very strategic and very tactical in terms of okay you know you put the PPC in there people will click on the banner they will come to your website we're done you know all sorted easy like you know why why really get into many details right so um, my counter argument to this is that yes. But basically what it does is it amplifies what you've already got. So if you're not ready in there and if your product is not good enough or, you know, if, if there are some issues in there, you're basically paying for more people to, to find that out and to see that, you know, you're not ready yet. So um, what, what's your kind of, you know, what's your approach? What's the role of the digital advertising in, in the whole kind of marketing you know, pieces and puzzle altogether. Like, is right. just doing that is is it even gonna help? If it's marketing, only the only thing you're doing. Oh yeah, I mean, marketing and advertising—it's a megaphone—is essentially all it is. And if the thing you're saying is trash, then it's just you're going to be talking about trash a lot louder. Um, and if it is, uh, if you have one of those megaphones that changes your voice when someone finally starts seeing or hearing you speak normally and they don't like what they have to hear, it doesn't matter what the megaphone was saying. Mm -hmm. So you really need to, like you said, make sure that you've, you've got all your, uh, your ducks in a row. Um, and, and that just means that you've actually taken the time to figure out a product that is worthwhile selling and talking about, that you've uh, actually just determined what it is that is important to you. Um, I don't want this to discourage people from starting because I think that's a big excuse that people use. It's like, Ooh, I don't know. I'm not ready. You know, like you said, I, I don't know what background I'm going to put behind me or, or, Ooh, the product is, is still in the beta and I'm not so sure about that. Or, or I don't know what, you know, is important to me. So I'm not going to start saying anything to anybody. That's, that's the step of making there's, mm -hmm. I mean, anyone that's a creative knows there's. 90% of the work takes place beforehand where you have to start ideating, you have to start concepting, you have to start strategizing and figuring out, well, what is it that we want to do before we make the thing, right? Yeah. So it, the same thing comes uh, in the process of figuring out what you want to say and the content you want to put out there. Um, so, you know, if, if you don't have at least a clear line of what you stand for, just start there. What do you stand for? Mm -hmm. And you probably shouldn't start. But that's a pretty easy thing to figure out. I know it seems pretty deep, like it, it could be difficult, but like it's it's not, it doesn't require hours of dev to create a good product. It doesn't uh, require, you know, a whole lot of uh, strategizing to figure out what, how you're going to start putting content out and all that. All it means is, well, what's important to you? What do you stand mm. for? Embrace that and then just test and learn. That's the big thing. I mean, I, I the, one of the reasons why I love the digital world is because it takes a lot of the influence from the startup world. And the startup world is all about 
create an MVP, minimum viable product, put it out there and see how to tweak it and pivot every once yeah. in a while until you get product market fit. And once you get that, then you test it, you learn, you test it, you learn, you adjust, and you keep doing it until you get something that is right for your customers. Mm -hmm. And your customers are defined by the people who liked the thing along the way. So we do the same thing with advertising. We put out content, we put out our, our marketing, if the people react to certain things, we embrace that. We move forward with that. If people don't react to other things, we put it on the you know the side and we maybe we'll try it out later, see maybe it wasn't the right time, mm -hmm. but we move forward with what works. That's a big part of what data-driven creative is, embracing what it is that people are engaging with and creating more of that. But then also understanding why is it they're engaging with that is a big part of it. Because yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, people only watch the first six seconds of videos, so therefore we should only make six second videos. True, you should make six second videos, but that also means that if you make a 30 second video, put the most important things you need to communicate in the first six seconds and then have fun with the other 24 seconds. Um, yeah. So so I, I forget where I was going with any of that, but basically, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, don't let any of this stop you. Just uh, embrace the idea of testing and learning and uh, constantly creating and, and tweaking those different things. Don't, don't feel like, uh, I'm not ready, because there's only awesome. one thing you need to be yeah. ready with. What do you want to say? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. Just getting to the, I mean, it feels like we, we, we've covered a lot in here in terms of like, you know, we, we addressed quite important questions. We, we sort of gave a bit of direction of where to look for answers. Um, now, uh, about the creativity part of it, like cre being creative and kind of, you know, catching that creative wave and, and, being consistently creative is something that is a challenge, right? You can have these sparks where, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, you feel like writing something or creating something, you just do it, move on, and, and then something happens and you're not so inspired anymore. So it's kind of, yeah, okay, right? Okay, if, if it's just a hobby. Um, very often you need to be consistent in, with your output. And if your output needs to be creative, how do you maintain that creativity? Oh, it's difficult. Um... <laughs> I often say that everyone's creative, but not everyone is a creative. And the the clear differentiator is exactly what you said. It's being consistently, dependably creative. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a, uh, a documentary called Art and Copy. Um, it was made uh, oof, probably more than a decade or so ago now. Um, George Lois, one of the, the great admin of uh, the day, he said, one of the most, I think it was something along this, I'm summarizing, the scariest and best thing about being a creative is having no idea where your next idea is going to come from. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it is, it's terrifying. And every creative and capital C creative person that has to constantly be coming up with ideas because um, it's their job has a different way of feeding that. Some people love going to museums. Some people mm -hmm. are saying, well, I just need to listen to some music. Some people just want to go to go on a walk. Um, other people, you know, feed their creativity and are able to come up with ideas constantly by uh, staying up to date, reading the annuals and magazines and and all that kind of stuff. And so there's there's something different for everyone. But the the key part, the common element across all of them is figuring out what feeds your creativity, because mm -hmm. you can't just keep outputting creative you need to get it back into you um and whether that is you know like i said music or museums or art or or anything 
uh, everybody has their own thing. I mean, I honestly, I started doing this as a way to feed my own creativity because there's only so much uh, advertising that you can do where you feel like, well, I, I just want to do something different. I want to do something mm -hmm. that that lets this creative nugget in me just kind of grow a little bit more. And and then I realized that it was something that helped out other people as well. So that's, I mean, that could be another thing to allow people to have the excuse to put content out there because that can help your creative mm -hmm. To, you know, a lot of people have a creative process and they say, well, first thing I like to do is I like to take the brief, let it marinate, kind of figure out, you know, what bounces around in my head, what's going to kind of pop out. And then uh, I need a week for that. And then I need a couple days where I bounce it off with a partner, which is also a huge thing. There's a reason why they put an art director and a copywriter together, because when you have two people bouncing ideas back and forth off of each other with different perspectives, it creates something better than either one of them could on their own. Yeah. And then then there's a whole lot of different ways to execute it. But, you know, I, if there was a formula for creativity and how to consistently come up with good creative, I would not be the one to figure that out because and, and I love systems. I love the idea of formulas. I love systems. I love doing all that kind of stuff. But people would have figured that out a long time ago and a lot more people would be doing it. Um, and you can tell when creativity is formulaic. Right, mm -hmm. like you can tell when you're listening to a song by an artist that you really loved their first album, but when they had to start churning out an album every year, year after year after year, and they're they're starting to become a little predictable and a little formulaic, it's not as good because they've been forced to create and they probably haven't had the opportunity to allow that organically to happen. And the same thing is for marketing and advertising and any kind of creativity. So um the big thing is just figure out what feeds you and mm -hmm. do that as much as you're putting stuff out into the world, uh, whether that is through your career or just uh, a personal brand or anything, because it's important to feed that creativity. So, so do you think that commercializing creativity kind of, you know, damages its quality? Like, you know, serialized fiction, serialized movies and all that stuff because no. you're forced to create the continuation or... No. Not at all. Not at all. I, I think that the the thing that harms it is when it's forced, because um, when you know serialized fiction uh, or oh, okay, there was uh, what was it Lost? There was a show uh, several mm -hmm. years ago, right? Yeah. Um, I believe they had planned out four seasons, maybe five seasons, but the show ran for six seasons, six and a half seasons. And at one point there was a writer's strike and they didn't want to do the last season in order to, to you know, bypass the writer's strike. Um, you could tell one of those seasons sucked, right? Mm -hmm. And it was because they were forced to fit this piece of creative into something that they had already kind of figured out how it was going to live. That's why creative feels, um, that's what harms creative is when mm -hmm. you force it. If you have an idea of uh, even a loose plan of what this is going to do as uh, as you go into time. Uh, it doesn't matter if it is a thousand episodes or five episodes. It still can be just as creative as you expected it to be. And once you start having to force it in a direction or in a pattern that it was not really meant for, that's when it starts to get damaged. Um, commercializing creative, I have no feelings that it harms creativity. I, I think that you can make creativity commercialized, but again, one of the harms of marketing and advertising is 
you've got two sides to it, right? You've got the client that wants to speak about themselves and you've got the agency that only wants to speak to people. And so you, you want to land somewhere in the middle here, but you've got these yeah. two sides that are pulling against each other. And one way or the other, it's going to get a little bit further the other direction. The great ones are when they've hit that balance right in the middle, right? And so uh, the commercialization of it means that someone's paying the bill. And if it usually lands on the side of the client that's going to be paying the bill, um, oftentimes they have to force it to speak more about themselves, which is not what people want to hear. But people also can't just talk about themselves because then they don't know anything about the brand. So forcing it one way or another is what harms that creativity. It's the commercialization of it is just getting paid for your ideas, which is great. Because if we didn't get paid for our ideas, I don't know what a lot of us would do. Um, Starving artist. Starving artist. That's what I <laughs> yeah. could have done. I'd, yeah, I'd be more prepared okay, for, so for this time. <laughs> to wrap it up and kind of to do to make a full circle, we, we started by talking about data-driven marketing and then the creative side of it, and and that things are shifting now. You know, things are progressing and changing. So, what what's your forecast like in 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 the future? Um, where is it going to land? Like, how are these two sides of the thing gonna? Um, you know, develop into what? You know, I am not Nostradamus. I don't know where the world is going to go. Um, all I know is where I'm at right now and where people who are probably five to 10 years behind are. And unfortunately, that's 80% of the industry, right? Mm -hmm. So where I see people going, which is what a lot of the savvy agencies and everyone are doing right now, is being... Um, both effective and creative. And mm -hmm. that is the biggest pushback that I get when I talk about data-driven creativity is, like I said, from creatives that say, you're just telling me like make the button red or whatever. And I say, that's not what it really is about. It's about figuring out uh, how to use the data, how to use the information we have in order to understand who is the specific person or the group of people, the smaller group of people that we want to talk to and engaging them in a, a more unique way than it would be if we were talking to everyone at the same time. Um, and the reason why that's so good is because from a media perspective, it's more effective. You don't have to spend money on so much mass media. There should still be mass media, just not as much because there's so mm. many more options. And from a creative perspective, it's great because you make more. And as long as you don't have the ego of, I want to work on a $10 million production, then it's great because you get to, to execute more of your ideas than you would in the past because you need to speak to more individual groups of people. And, and so that's about what the efficacy is. That's what about the efficiency is because it's understanding that um, you, know, you don't waste, you learn what works and you build on top of that. But then bringing that creativity into it is really what that core is. So um, yeah, I wouldn't be doing this and saying this and, and talking about this all the time if I didn't think that this is where the future is. Because I, I hope I have a long career in this industry and um, I really feel like this is where everything is going. I'm not the only one either. I mean, you look mm -hmm. at uh, a lot of the big networks and there's a reason why they're leaning into that. Um, you look at a lot of the agencies that are doing really well and it's because, and, and building up, it's because that is what they're doing and a lot of the ones that are hurting. And unfortunately it's, it's the ones that were great creative shops back in the day um, are the ones that are not embracing new ways of executing creativity. Uh, mm -hmm. And if they did, maybe they wouldn't have as much trouble, but um, 
I just hope that that we don't lose really great creative shops because they are getting stuck in nostalgia. Um, yeah. yeah, I yeah, I totally agree with you. Well, thank you very much for your time. I thank really you, enjoyed the conversation. So, and thank you for everyone who who watched this live, and and to everyone who's going to listen to the podcast later on. So, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, uh, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, um, and uh, yeah, I'll meet you in the next episode. Thanks again, Jeremy. Bye. Great. Thank you. Bye.